This is part one of a two-part podcast. Have you ever wondered whether a particular book was really good or just so-so, and if you could trust the reviews online? When it comes to books related to permaculture, Permies has a large list of reviews for over 100 books. Perhaps you're considering a book for yourself or a friend, or you're just curious about what's out there. Stop by permies.com forward slash book and take a look at the book review grid and read some honest reviews, and hopefully you'll find the next book to add to your collection. Okay, so uh, might will be along in a moment. Today we're going to talk about that infographic that we made um, last year, uh, permies.com slash heat. Uh, I know that Mud and I spent about 10 months working on it, and uh, the the way it came to be I thought was really fascinating. I started a thread saying something along the lines of, how do I get the concept of rocket mass heaters into like 100 million brains? And our permies.com audience came out in droves, but the hilarious thing was is that each person would, A, you kind of get the impression of not reading anybody else's post because the same thing would be brought up several times. And they would say, if you solve my odd little problem, the whole world will then fall in line and learn about rocket mass heaters. And then we would say, we solved that little problem. Now, most of the time, they just didn't reply after that. But the few that did would say, oh, wait, but there's another one, and it's the second thing. That's, oh, we solved that too. And then that's when that person would usually disappear. So kind of felt like we didn't get the advice we were really looking for um, on how to reach 100 million people with, with rocket mass heater stuff. Um, but uh, – um, but we kind of found this other message that was hidden in there, which was that uh, if we help somebody and we get them uh, going, they've got another issue and another issue and another issue that they want to have solved. And so the infographic, we decided to make an infographic. And the funny thing is, is that, um, well, there's a couple of funny things. First, Andreas made an info, started making an infographic like that day. <laughs> it's like, dude, we got to work out all the data. We got to get all the numbers just right because we know people are going to contest it. And so, um, uh, so then we turned to people and, and we're like, okay, let's divvy this up. It's going to be like 24 rows and it'll be like a dozen columns. So let's, who wants to take on this one? And, and it turned out that it was nobody. And who wants to take on this one? And it turned out to be nobody. And so in the end, Mud and I did all of it. We we would get together a couple of times a week for a few hours and um, and then take one of the rows and then do some deep, deep, deep research on the numbers to get the numbers to be rock solid. Now, the funny thing is, is that um, – while we were composing this, the cost of electricity and the cost of natural gas and the cost of pellets for pellet stoves all went – oh, and the cost of propane. They all went up. They all went way up. And we're like, oh, we, we, we can't just sit here and keep modifying this document forever. So we just locked down the numbers that we had and cranked it out. I think – I think – the infographic is stellar. And I thought, oh, great. Now we're going to share this. We're going to put this out there. And um, we're going to have, I don't know, a 100 million people within a few months looking at this and understanding all these things and stuff like that. And, um, and so, oh, Bo is... Paul won't say it, but I will. Please like, subscribe, and share. Okay. Sorry, I said, there's mud. It's about the end time. Hey. Oh. Uh, so, um, I'm trying to tell the story of how the infographic came to be. And, and so we, we finished it. We put it out there. And I thought immediately it was going to get a hundred million people and it was going to change the world. Everybody's going to talk about it. 
And it was crickets. And it was like, I mean, we did get, I shouldn't say crickets. We got 6,000 people who came to the thread at Permies where we keep the, the um, infographic, permies.com slash heat. And, um, and, and on top of that, the real sting, the real kick in the gut was I shared it with my audience, which uh, is a mailing list of 122,000 people. And I guess I learned a lot of people just, I don't know, they were already so sure about this that they didn't need to go look at the infographic, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, so so now we've got the video out. Mud, did you see the new video? I did. Looks good. Okay. Two I don't have to read long. anymore. I can just look at it. It's about two minutes long, and and we have a new style of making videos where we're trying to compress ten minutes of information into two minutes, and so it's it's super tightly edited. That's thanks to Andreas, who's managing our our thing today. But uh, Bo, I know that you and you're only here for a little bit, for a few minutes but that you were helping us to chase down numbers in the early days. And uh, uh, it's I, – I, I know I can turn to mud and ask this, but since you're here for just a minute, I believe it is really difficult to not only find the numbers, but find reliable numbers that if you – Link to your references that people will find those to be a qualified reference. Sure. Well, that was easy. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it it is really squishy. Um, You go ahead, Mud. There's lies, damned lies, and statistics, I believe, is what they say. And everybody, uh, you know, every every part of the industry has a uh, vested interest in massaging it to make it look good for what we're doing. So you look it up on a, uh, on a natural gas, uh, uh, heating website and it'll tell you one thing and you look it up on, uh, the, uh, uh, the, with the guys with the mini splits and they'll have some glowing, glowing numbers. And so we had to go through a lot of numbers and kind of get an idea of, and if, uh, if we found three people who hate each other and agree on a number, we kind of went for that. I do think that when we have shared the document with audiences that are snotty, um, that, that, that they choose to be snotty without looking at the references. And, and it's like, uh, so one that I remember was that how heat pumps the average lifespan of a heat pump is 14 years. And then um, we had three different people who then chimed in to say that that's not true because they know of a heat pump that's more than 14 years old. And it's like, have you learned about what average means yet? Can we, are we allowed to speak of average? I mean, declining um, performance over time. The centennial bulb is, I believe, 115 years old. It's It's been burning for 115 years, but we still say an incandescent light only lasts a thousand hours, even though that's not true either. Um, the uh, And so it's kind of like, all right, so, and I believe 14 years of lifespan came from a website that sold uh, heat pumps. If I remember correctly, I mean, we can go look it up. We cited all of, all of our uh, references and we did a lot of, of stuff. The other thing about the infographic is we made all the numbers be for Montana, not only because I live in Montana, but also, uh, because Montana is well known to be a very cold state. And when we tried talking about this kind of thing before, everybody wanted to talk about Florida and about Virginia and California. And it's kind of, well, those, you know, might not be as cold. And so I don't know, it got squirrely. And, uh, and, and so we needed to nail it down and get some hard statistics for just one state. The other thing that we ran into was like, 
the experts are usually an expert in a very narrow study. Like there may be a heat pump expert that knows nothing about the manufacture of their actual device and the footprint of that sort of thing. So I feel like an instrumental aspect of this was, I think it's articulated well in Alan Booker's presentation about the potential for a rocket mass heater to be actually carbon negative, um, discussing site and source EUI. I feel like that's a part of this that's really hard for even experts in their field to understand. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, and, and so, but we did the legwork and it took us 10 months. But I, uh, but we got the infographic out and I think it's, I think it's an, a rock solid document, um, backed with, uh, sources. And so all those are out there. The only problem with the document is that the cost of a lot of that stuff, like all the electric options, the gas options, the pellets, the, um, the propane, those are probably all about 35% higher, maybe 40% higher right now. And, um, and, but of course there was a row in there about is it vulnerable to market volatility? And so those are the ones that are indeed vulnerable to market volatility. So, all right, real quick, I have a thing to insert in our, in our discussion today, real quick. I want to say, uh, so we're we're re- doing this live, and it's going out to a bunch of different places, uh, YouTube and some other things, um, and then later we'll put it out onto the podcast stream. And I just want to say, I think, I think that the podcast is currently not even getting five percent of the stuff. I think I should be pouring into the podcast. I think that there's. A couple of hundred different bits and bobs of topics, of just general topics. There were some great things. We finished up the Garden Master Course, and there were some really powerfully important things brought up that are like, that's uh, an amazing podcast topic. Um, and it's like, we, I, we gotta find ways to, to get more of this out. Um, there's so much more. So today, I mean, this infographic has been out since I think October and, and we haven't recorded a podcast about it. I mean that and this and the document itself is so extremely profound. We're not even going to touch the whole document today. I think each, each row is worthy of an entire podcast of its own. All right. So, um, I just want to say that there's so much information that I feel like I got to share. And I, I like to believe that probably 80% of the stuff that we put into the podcast is stuff that I don't think is anywhere else on the internet. I think it's pretty unusual. Um, for those of you that listen to the podcast, does that seem fair? And listen to other podcasts, maybe. Does that seem fair? Is it relatively unusual, the stuff that we put into our podcasts? And so, yeah, I would say so. Okay. So, and we've got tons more that we've got to get in there that we just haven't been. All right. Um, covering the bits covered in the new YouTube video. So, um, one, one thing I want to say, I don't know if we could put the link up for it is that, um, I made a thread. I just had this last second idea. I made a thread and I said that if, if a whole bunch of people put coin in, we would have possibly $5,000. And if we get $5,000, that means that we can show that video. We'll, we'll just put it into the YouTube promotion thing where YouTube says, give me your money. And then you put it in. And if we put $5,000 in, my guess is, is that we will get a half a million views of this one video. Okay. So is this the, the link to the, Okay, there's the link to the new video, um, which doesn't work if there's not a space before HTTPS. But I was thinking about a link to the um, the the money grubbing. Where's the, that thing about the five thousand dollars? If somebody could post a link to that, that'd be cool. I don't remember what the thread number is or anything like that, but um, 
so far, uh, uh, it's like 150 bucks we've gotten. Um, and, uh, it might be a lot more than that. I haven't checked in the last hour or so. Um, and there's a, a, a monthly-ish going out. I did check just before we started recording and it wasn't even a quarter of the way out yet. So, um, hopefully by the end of the day today, we'll have hit $5,000 and we can put that into YouTube and we can get that thing to have. I just think that'd be, that'd be great if that could get a, a half a million views. Because I think it's important. I think it. I think it does change things dramatically, and I think the video is delicious. So, covering the bits and bobs in the YouTube video. Um, one of them, the very first thing we start off with is cost to install. So, uh, um, can we can we kind of zoom in a little bit on the document? I can kind of see it. Maybe I should pull it up in another window. Um, it's easy enough to do. Hermes.com slash heat. And then there it is. Ah, and we made it so it's easily visible without having to go to the super jumbo version. So to heat a home and the average home in Montana is conveniently 2000 square feet. I think I think if I remember correctly, it was actually something like 2,004 square feet, but we just said 2,000 square feet. It makes our, all of our math really easy. So if you're going to put electric baseboard in the entire house and have it professionally installed, that would be $4,000. Now, usually when people talk about heat pumps and how awesome heat pumps are, how absolutely amazingly great heat pumps are, they talk about how they're only $10,000 to put three of them into a home, but they cut your heating bill 70%. So they're doing a little accidental mix and match because there's two basic types of heat pump. There's the mini splits, which are cheaper and easier to install, and they just grab heat from the outside air and use their pumpy pump function for that. And there's the in-ground heat pump, which costs $26,000 to install instead of $10,000 to install. And that one gives you much bigger savings. It, it, it cuts your heating bill much more. So, But, but at, when you try to talk to people about heat pumps, it's like as cheap as this much to install – and the savings are possibly this much. Um, and so it's kind of like, okay, let's, let's break this down. If you're going to do mini splits, it, I, it generally cuts about 30% off of your heat bill. Is that right? Did I do my math correctly? Yeah, about 30%. But then if you get the, uh, the in-ground heat pump, it'll cut about 65% off of your electric heat bill. But, Granted, that's a comparison where you're already starting off with the most expensive heating option to compare to. So, I mean, am I, am I the only one that's getting flooded with stuff about how awesome heat pumps are and let's, let's convert everybody over to heat pumps? I'm, I'm getting just slammed with this information. Is it just me? Are there others? That are, that are seeing all this, that are seeing this flood being put forth by general media, um, and, and, and organizations like permaculture organizations or, or, um, other environmental organizations. Mud, are you seeing this? Yeah, they're pretty popular and the advertising budgets are pretty big for some of these companies. And of course, I've also been doing research on them, which means that my social media gets flooded with advertisements for it. So the echo chamber gets pretty loud pretty fast if you're looking for something on the internet. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of articles, uh, in magazines and articles in, um, other, uh, online media and, you know, full on articles. And it's, and it, it just seems like, uh, 
wow, who's who's paying for this massive PR push? Infotainment, man. On top of that, uh, I have had people that I know, not just one, but many people I know, trying to push it, push it, push it to me to sell to like I have to go tell everybody about how great uh, this is, how how great uh, um, uh, heat pumps are, and so uh, just push, 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 push. And uh I've had I've had some friends be upset with me that I'm advocating for rocket mass heaters because you know heat I should be taking all of my resources and telling people about heat pumps. So in a way that's what I'm doing today, right? <laughs> so um now, granted, in in the end, I think we do make do a great job of making it clear how important um, the uh, the rocket mass heater is over the heat pump. But at the end of the video, our actual recommendation is for both. And and a, there's a fascinating thing about insurance that we'll get to possibly later, or maybe that's a whole other podcast where you know it's best to have both. But um, let's let's set that aside for now. Um, getting back to cost to install. So, um, in ground heat pump, the average is $26,000. And again, we've had some pushback on that as some people have been able to get it done for less than the average. And, uh, we also mark it off that installing an in ground heat pump is not for DIY. And I think I've had one person contact me to say that's bullshit because they did it themselves. But then they're also a person that did um, also, you know, like they installed these for people. And it's like kind of doesn't count, does it? A professional can DIY and it's kind of a different uh, thing. Right, right. I do think that an amateur could DIY this. It is, pl- but it's like. The level of DIY knowledge that is required to pull it off, I think, is very substantial. I'm going to say I'm going to make up a thing, and I, I think Mud and Bo are going to be used to hearing this because I say when you build a rocket mass heater, that requires a DIY level three. But if you're going to build a batch box rocket mass heater, that requires a DIY level five. And I'm going to go on to say, if you're going to try and do, and put in an in-ground heat pump yourself, that requires a DIY level 7 or maybe 8. So I'm throwing out some wackadoodle numbers here. Um, I do think that this is going to be the uh, uh, reverse logarithmic scale like the Wheat and Eco scale. But um, uh, Bo and Mud, would, would you guys choose different numbers than 7 or 8? I think some people uh, uh, do their own appendectomies and stuff, too. I mean, just they're convinced that they can do everything themselves because they saw it on a YouTube video. I know I've gotten myself in trouble that way, um, uh, thinking, oh, I saw it on YouTube. I can do this myself, and then had to hire somebody to tear out what I did and put in the right thing. But... um yeah, it's a specialized knowledge. Um, uh, there's a uh, we you know we have simple versions of the rocket heater that are maybe gonna cut your fuel bill in half. That uh, that anybody who uh, is minorly handy could do, and then we have some that. Um, that are, are, you know, really kind of specialized and, uh, you get, you go from a, uh, a Mr. Cool kit where you don't even need a vacuum pump for a mini split, uh, to, uh, in, uh, to, uh, hooking up a, uh, uh, you know, something you've got to dig trenches for 10 feet deep in a yard. And, um, you know, that's, that's a whole nother level. That might even be a nine, uh, even if it's just for access to equipment. Fair. Fair. Bo? Yeah, I think that's legit. I mean, I've done a, I've done the DIY mini splits 
um, in my house. And that's like, you know, after you run electrical, that's about 4,000. And usually that's a less, usually that's the less portion when you have it professionally installed. So, uh, eight to 10 is pretty standard. Higher if you're doing multiple rooms, maybe a touch lower if you've got like a one room studio or something. I think, I think that the numbers we got on here are, are, are rock solid and, and many splits are much less expensive to put in and much easier. I would say that, uh, if you're going to put in your own mini splits, you're looking at a DIY level five. Yeah. And so, I mean, part of it is, is you got to route some ducts through some walls and things like that. If you're and, used uh, to doing your own electrical work, it's not a big deal. But if anything beyond a light switch is a stretch, then it's, it's a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the key is, is that, um, if you're going to, and many splits kind of seem to be the way people are going. And if you're going to do it yourself and you're going to put three of them into a house, into a 2000 square foot house, it's going to be about $4,000 just in materials costs. Um, and to have it for three of them, that's low. Well, let me say, let me, let me do this a different, slightly different way. Let me qualify a little bit. A year ago, it would have been about $4,000. Okay. Bo is making faces like, yeah, yeah, I could go for that. Yeah. You're close enough. So one of the things we one of the things we ran into doing our research was the difference between a uh, the cost of a DIY quality unit and they might you know even appear to be the exact same model on the surface but you buy it at a, a big box uh, DIY store and the uh, and it's a lot cheaper than the one that is gonna uh, that the, the professional is gonna install. Sometimes because the professional's got to have a 10 year warranty on it and it's got to be reliable. Uh, and the thing that you buy for DIY will, oh yeah, you'll get it for a lot cheaper. And, uh, and the internal parts are cheaper and it's not going to last as long. And, uh, and nobody's going to help you out if something goes wrong. So, so you, you know, there is a wide range. And we, we looked for, we looked pretty hard for averages. Uh, and, uh, to, uh, so you go out and you look, you do your research, uh, and, uh, this infographic's a nice place to start to make some comparisons. But then you go out and you look and you find out, oh my goodness, one of the, one of the places in town closed so the other one raised their prices 40%. Or, oh look, they're having specials on such and such. So, uh, I'm gonna do that. Or I just learned how to do this bit, so I'm going to spend a little more money on uh, on hardware that I know how to work with, um, but save myself three thousand dollars in install costs. All of these are very real for different people, and uh, and you know we we can only put the averages of what was reported on uh, to the world on our uh, on our infographic, and hopefully that's handy enough to people to uh, to make it worth it. I think along those lines, um, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but I know it's something I've been talking probably too much about to the, the unfortunate people who come into my circle. Uh, and that is the overall, I, I kind of feel like the sleeve of today is I'm going to make up a number of 10 times greater than 30 years ago. So the, the lies and whatever else that they do, um, just is so much more. So I just kind of feel like, um, I'm, I am concerned that these products might fall shy of being honest and wholesome and, and that, um, we're going to get six years down the road and discover things that are awful or people go to buy, they go buy it and then they install it only to find out that there's some ugly sleaze that was woven into their product and now it's going to cost $2000 more or something like that so um i i just 
I I have concerns. I'm I'm weary of the sleaze of today. I and this is one of the reasons why I advocate that people garden. Because then you know the story of your food. Whereas I kind of feel like even if you go to an organic store and it says it's organic, I now know enough about this stuff where I kind of feel like it isn't. It, it's It's got a bunch of sleaze woven into that, too. All right. Oh, sorry. It's my own little ranty rant kind of a thing. All right. Cost to install. In-ground heat pump, $26,000. It's going to take a lot of winners for that to pay itself off. And then the the, the mini splits is $10,000. This is for professionally installed. And then um, and mud, I know that you have gone, like people have paid you to come to their home and professionally install a rocket mass heater. I got to say that probably a good 15 to 20% of the cost is going to be to get the vertical exhaust to go through the roof. And, um, but, uh, the number we wrote down, I trusted you because I, you know, you know other builders too, other rocket mass heater builders, other professional rocket mass heater builders. And so the number we have written down here is 7,500 bucks. Yep. Is that, does that include travel costs for you? That's a good, that's a good average. If I'm, if I'm doing it in my home territory, uh, uh, or, you know, have a, uh, a circuit that I'm going to do, uh, we can get it a little lower. Um, if they, if, if they've got some funky thing at their place, uh, like, a a need for, uh, a, uh, some sort of handler to get up, get stuff up on the roof to put a uh, put a chimney liner down. Uh, that starts to get way expensive. So uh, the uh, uh, so yeah, professional install uh, can get really expensive. I mean, one of one of my uh, great heroes, uh, uh, Jim Shalls, uh, is a rocket heater builder. Uh, has built some amazing Cobb and batch box ro- rocket heaters. Uh, for heating, uh, you know, quite big houses, and uh, uh, he won't touch one for less than twenty-three thousand now, just because of the sheer amount of labor that goes into having something as artistic as he wants to do, as as fine as he wants to do, uh, uh, be in there. And on the other hand, uh, um, a uh, uh, a, a liberator rocket heater and a mass bench and a, uh, uh, and a, um, and a, a double wall chimney from the local tractor supply place. Um, uh, that, you know, for the DIY person or, you know, even if you hire somebody to put it in, it, it's, it's going to take two days to install that, uh, at the most. So, there's there's a wide range there. How much is the Liberator right now? Do you know? It's a little less than three grand with shipping. Okay. The uh, down here, the cost to install DIY is nineteen hundred dollars. I know that there are people out there, and it seems like I know. I I tell people the average is four hundred dollars, but we wrote down nineteen hundred dollars. And a big reason for that is we're including in the the total cost to install, and we just assumed 100% of installs are going to need to put in uh, some sort of hole in the roof for the vertical yep. exhaust. Yep. Whereas it seems to me like a lot of the people I've talked to that are putting, they're taking out a conventional wood stove, or they already have the hole in the roof and they're putting in a rocket mass heater. And, uh, and so I, I kind of think like, oh, okay, if you leave that out and it seems like kind of average around $400. Um, and so the biggest part of that expense 
is the hole in the roof stuff. And so, yep. um, yeah, uh, uh, but I would say like the, the one, the Fisher price house, we're probably, we probably spent something on the order of, I'm going to guess not even $2,000 on it. Although, um, the hole in the roof stuff, we did have to spend probably an addition to that because it wasn't already a hole in the roof. I think we probably put a good $800 in the hole in the roof just for materials. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul conversation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. But it seems to me like for a lot of people who already have a hole in the roof, 400 as an average for materials cost sounds about normal. What do you think? I think it's a little low, given what ceramic, uh, wool, ceramic board costs have done. But as a, you know, a year ago, that was a good number when we came up with it. And, uh, um, and there's a, you know, there's a whole, uh, subgroup, uh, that I really like to encourage, uh, that you, know, you can, you can build these almost entirely out of mud and rocks, uh, and, uh, you know, and old uh, old brick that people were throwing away. Um, the uh, that can be done uh, with scrap metal almost for for almost free, if not free, uh, for for parts. And uh, and if you love doing it, then you won't you 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 don't feel the labor as much. You get a bunch of your buds together and do it. Um, you know, well, yeah, that gets. That is accessible in a way that a mini split even isn't. Uh, that's accessible in a way that, uh, that, you know, that a baseboard heater, electric baseboard heater might not even be, even be accessible. Um, and certainly, you know, the cost, uh, getting the ability to get fuel, uh, from your local, uh, uh, forest, uh, or, um, or, or dumpster even is super, super, uh, valuable as time goes by because, uh, the fuel can end up costing more than the, the heater did. So I, I know that, um, uh, we, we, when we put in the cost of fuel, so maybe, maybe now is a good time to start moving into talking about annual operation costs which is yeah. dominantly going to be fuel, whether that fuel is electricity or the fuel is wood. Um, I think uh, one of the things that we did for all of the wood-burning contraptions, <clears throat> except for pellets, uh, is that we said um, everybody gets a free half cord. Uh, and, the ha- and that half cord came from uh, the, the branches and twigs that naturally fall off the trees in your yard. Now, not everybody has that. And so we tried to do a little bit of math across Montana to try to calculate, you know, an average of who does have that option. And then we also said, okay, well, another one is wood scraps from your wood shop. Well, not everybody has a wood shop. And so we tried to do some averages there. And then there's the concept of being able to burn some cardboard and junk mail, um, and then the papery bits that would otherwise go to the um uh to the landfill uh whereas here like at my house uh next to every garbage can we have a paper sack and we just know that the paper sack is where we put our our burnables our clean burnables and uh um sometimes we just burn the whole paper sack as a fire starter or you know, more often we burn pieces. We, we take what, take what's in the paper sack out and burn that. Um, so basically we gave everybody a half cord for this 
variety of different burnable things that are free, free burnables, free heat, free, free whatevers. Now, uh, a rocket mass heater, uh, can heat a home with just a little over half a quart of wood. Uh, I hope to someday get it under a half a quart of wood, but, um, we're still working on that. So basically it doesn't leave very much. And then, uh, for the rest of the wood, we kind of went with the cost. There's a place that we found that said the Montana average for the, for firewood cost is. And then, um, and so we started there and I think, um, I think we stuck to that number. And, uh, cause it seemed like that number was kind of low. So it may have been a little outdated, but we were thinking that, well, a lot of people go and get their own firewood or, and, and then at the same time, maybe, maybe 20 to 30% of people have enough firewood within a hundred yards of their home that they don't need to get a giant four by four truck with six chainsaws and, you know, four cans of fuel to go out into the woods, pulling a trailer to haul, to come back with all the firewood. Um, and then don't forget to make three or four trips out. And you also need to stock grandma's firewood too. Um, so, uh, but we kind of tried to do, so we, we ended up just sticking with the number that was presented as the average firewood price per cord in Montana to come up with these numbers. <clears throat> now, um, all right. In ground heat pump, when it comes to annual operation cost, many splits, $1,300. Um, in ground heat pumps, less than half of that, $606. And then a rocket mass heater, $15. And so that's assuming that you buy the firewood. So in theory, you would buy one quart of firewood and it will last you maybe 10 years because there's so little of it that you need to augment the, the quart of firewood that you're putting in, uh, the half quart that you get for free. Okay. Any more comments about, uh, annual, uh, operation or about, um, uh, the cost to install? I think for annual operation, a lot of people feel really empowered by not having to have the, uh, the, whatever the energy exchange is to get fuel going through the, the economic and tax system. I mean, when you, there's a certain pleasure to not paying 15, 20, 30% tax overall on the, uh, on the wood you bought and not paying for, uh, the transportation, uh, of that from uh, God knows where and not paying for refining it into pellets or, uh, or some sort of, uh, liquid or gas and, um, uh, and, and, you know, being, having that much more of your heat, uh, in your, in your own control, like, like growing a garden. And if you, and if your wood got wet or you, you, uh, or you, uh, you didn't split enough, uh, um, and you got to dig for it under the snow and it's your own fault. There's a, there's a certain, uh, uh, niceness to that, that some people like, uh, so the, uh, and you can do that with, with wood, especially with the little scrap wood that we're talking about for rocket heaters, uh, or scrounge it. And it's kind of hard to scrounge electricity. It's, it's kind of hard to, to, uh, it's, it's easy to scrounge some red brick and some clay to make a rocket heater. Uh, it's kind of hard to scrounge, uh, 
a mini split. Um, so, so these are, these are empowering, like having a garden or, or a, a barter system in ways that, uh, uh, or a gift economy in ways that your electric bill and your, uh, and, and, and your installation of an industrial product aren't. I think, I think another way of saying what you are saying is the level of sleaze that you, I don't know, that, you, that, that uh, you have to endure with some of these other options is, um, you know, a price that's not calculated in. Maybe, maybe the, the chart should have included how much sleaze do you have to swallow in order to be able to have this. I, I, uh, when I bought this property that we have two properties here, we have the lab and base camp. And so the lab is off grid and, uh, and base camp is on the grid. When I arrived at base camp, it had uh, a propane tank. And then uh, let me just say, I'm going to go out and say the sleaze factor was immense. It, it was, um, just lies and sleaze and over and over and over again. And, um, when I visited with others that live in other states, basically it's like, oh, that's the industry standard. And on top of that, when you talk about why am I paying $4 a gallon when this place down in Missoula sells it for a dollar a gallon? And it's like they just change the price to whatever they think they can get away with. Um, <clears throat> so the, the sleaze factor is, is tremendous. So I think part of what you're saying is, is that for electricity or natural gas or some of those others, there's also a bit of a sleaze factor. I've, I've, I don't. I haven't experienced any sleaze with my electric stuff, um, and I don't have natural gas, but I have heard from a lot of different people. Like, I've, I've observed people in Missoula being very upset because of the rate hikes, and I kind of feel like that's just how electricity is always going to be. I feel like the rates are not too bad, at least here in Montana right now, Um I know that, uh, it was something like 10 cents a kilowatt hour, um, and it's gone up. Uh, it's been a pretty big bump in the last year or two. Um, and a lot of people are very angry that it went up. And I kind of feel like, yeah, that's, that's the nature of this beast. It's, it's going to go up and you really have no control. Um, and they felt it was sleazy. I guess I don't, I don't count that in the, and the world is sleazy. The thing that I think is sleazy is if it's going to be like, oh, it's 10 cents a kilowatt hour. And now here's your bill. And, and it's like, yeah, but why am I paying 20 cents a kilowatt hour? Oh, there were fees and shit, you know? And so you just have to eat that. And, uh, I don't want to eat it. I, I, in fact, some of these sleaze, some of these fees are illegal. Some of these fees are not allowed. Some of these, and then, and frankly, uh, I, you know, I would question this and I question that. That would be sleaze. But I have not experienced that here in Montana, but I've heard of people having that problem in other places where, um, there, there's a bunch of, bunch of shenanigans on the bill. Um, and there's also other shenanigans about getting connected and stuff like that. So, so w- basically when you run a rocket mass heater, it's so little wood. And there's not any sleaze when you go out and there's a branch on the ground that fell off the tree and you, you take the loppers and you lop it up into some smaller pieces and you throw it in a box and then a few months later you heat your home with it. To me, that seems pretty sleaze free, which I think, I think for a lot of home setters, this is kind of what they're looking for is, is I'm going to go live way out in the sticks so I can get away from all the sleaze in the city. And uh, and you can't get away from it entirely, but you can get away from it for quite a bit. So you can grow your own food. You can grow your own fuel um, and, and therefore dodge the sleaze. Okay. I'm going to go on. I'm ready to go on to the next piece. Are you ready? We good? All right. The yep. next piece, the next piece is carbon footprint. And so in the, in the new video that just went out, we said we're getting a lot of attention to heat pumps today 
because they're being we we are being told that this is what is best for the environment for the sake of the environment everybody needs to switch over to heat pumps and so um and the number one metric is carbon footprint now already in the video that we just put out we've got people saying all this stuff about carbon footprint is a bunch of lies um you know climate change is lies carbon you know so it's like hey i'm not even talking about whether that's real or not it is just set that aside what is real is that uh, i'm getting flooded from environmental groups telling me that you have to switch over to a heat pump because it's the best for the environment and their number one environmental thing is carbon footprint and so a rocket mass heater has a carbon footprint that is less than 5% of the best heat pump. And yet they don't talk about a rocket mass heater. So um, I, I feel like that is rather unkind. And so when we're talking about what's good for the environment, I want to call shenanigans. That's, you know, they're, they're pushing the heat pump for the sake of the environment. And I want to say, shame on you. You know, that is, that is lies. Okay. Uh, anybody have anything else to add about carbon footprint on our lovely heat infographic? I, I, I want to shout out to, uh, Alan Booker's research. Um, there's a lot of comparisons of, of the carbon footprint of operating different types of heaters. Uh, the operation cost, the, the, co- the carbon footprint of running fuel oil as opposed to natural gas, as opposed to propane, as opposed to electric or, or the, the mini split. But very little of it takes into account the infrastructure requirements for creating and transporting those those high-tech devices to the place where we're going to use them and then having the infrastructure to uh, power them if you're using electric or natural gas or, uh, or having a truck uh, fill up with propane and make the last uh, few miles to the tank on, in your place. Any of those is connecting you to a long tube that goes all the way back to India or China or wherever that stuff was manufactured. Um, and so that environmental footprint goes back before uh, you plugged it in your house and turned it on and warmed your tootsies. Um, and then it goes on when, after you're done with the thing because you can't get parts for it anymore and you've chucked it out, uh, chucked it away. Um, those, those calculations, uh, uh, that, uh, Alan's been working on suggests that the best possible scenario of powering your mini split with solar energy or your, uh, um, or your in-ground heat pump with solar energy, uh, right there on your site, um, your, uh, your rocket and, and building the best house you can build uh, to need a smaller one of these things, you're still, your rocket heater is going to be about a third the environmental footprint. Um, if you cut and harvest your own wood, uh, on site and, uh, and those roots going down into the ground for those trees, uh, sequester carbon, uh, more than you're burning it, that all those things add up together, uh, to be, uh, at best, uh, your mini split is three times the carbon footprint of, uh, of your rocket heater. And there are other things we like about mini splits, uh, uh, that makes them very convenient. Um, and we'll talk about that, I guess, a little later. Um, but, uh, but if we're comparing the carbon footprint, um, I think a lot of environmentally conscious people 
get fixated on the smoke or the uh, the cry of smoke, uh, local pollution, um, and ignore the vast trail of destruction that goes with uh, uh, using uh, petrofuels uh, or um, high-tech devices to heat our houses. Because the pollution is away. It's not here. It's away. It's someplace else. Somebody else's kid is, is, is running around on the, uh, on the, uh, the trash dump looking for, uh, for old, uh, um, pieces of, uh, circuit board to, uh, to burn over a fire to get the last little bit of metal out of, uh, rather than, uh, you, uh, cutting and splitting your own wood and having a little smoke back into your room when you're not paying attention to it, uh, from the wood. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that, that comes to a divide in the way we see the world. Uh, and, uh, I kind of think if I'm gonna be the one getting the warmth, uh, the more of whatever downside there is to it, there is really ought to come back on me, maybe. Speaking of Alan Booker, I think an important thing to work in here is that if we're talking about running a heat pump in Montana where more than half the electricity that is generated in the state of Montana is coming from coal, <laughs> it's it's like, wow, coal has a powerful reputation for poison, for being just outright poison. And burning coal and, and running, you know, electricity from coal is such a, a, a an environmental disaster. Millions of people, I believe it's millions of people per year die of respiratory stuff caused by coal, by burning coal. Um, so it's kind of like, so A, we're going to start there. But of course, you know, it's it's killing people over there, not right here, right? Except for the fact that um, when you go way, way, way up into the wilderness where there is no coal power plant and there's not a coal power plant for hundreds of miles, you can't eat the fish that you catch in the lake because they've got mercury poisoning and it's from all the coal plants across the world putting all of that mercury up into the atmosphere and then it comes down and then it ends up concentrating in the fish in the most remote lake. And this is kind of a big part of how I got started with all of this is is that I would go fishing a lot. And then I was like, no, surely I can go fishing out in the middle of the wilderness, which is where I normally went. And um, no, no, those are all poison too now. So the other thing is, is that that coal is being dug up out of the ground that was sequestered carbon. And we unsequestered it, and we added it to our carbon load on the planet in the atmosphere by burning it, as opposed to when we use sticks and trees and stuff like that, that's part of the natural carbon cycle. And so um, uh, we, we, we pulled it off of the surface. So if... Uh, we never touched into stuff in the ground. We wouldn't have global warming. There would be none of it. There's, it's like you, you could burn all kinds of stuff. I don't think even if all humans heated with just wood, then we wouldn't be talking about, uh, climate change right now or, or, you know, climate weirdening or whatever it is. The carbon footprint would be a non-issue, but the fact that we've brought so much carbon out of the ground and then burned it, thus putting it into the atmosphere. That's the real problem. And then, of course, Alan Booker's presentation on carbon-negative heat, where you actually operate a rocket mass heater in such a way with a woodlot that the woodlot gets bigger and healthier with each passing year, so much so that your total carbon footprint is negative. So for every 3,000, for every 3,000, um, his calculations are for every 3,000, uh, 
pounds of carbon you put in the air by burning wood if you're if you're coppicing it on your own property so you don't have the transportation costs and you're you're putting rootstock into the ground and growing trees efficiently that way and leaving the rootstock in the ground you're putting 20,000 pounds of carbon back into the ground for every 3,000 you burn so that's pretty negative this podcast is continued in part two in a world on the brink of social collapse, one website stands above the rest to fight back the zombie horde of corporate trolls. Permies.com. Take back control of your destiny and protect your loved ones from the toxic git coming at you from all directions. Strap on your overalls and start building that bunker of abundance with the good vibes and friendly, helpful insight found at Permies.com.